Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. Let's see, I'm going to do a little commercial for myself. Um, Rabbi Schatz has planned a wonderful month of learning prior to Pesach. There's a session every day, just as there was in the month of Elul. And she has asked me and tasked me with what I teach, a class on Shira Shirim. So it's going to be the next four Mondays at noon for one hour. It'll be recorded. So if you can't make it live, you can make it unlive. And uh, we're going to be reading through all of Shira Shirim, two chapters a week. It's eight chapters total. Um, It's a short book, so we can do that. And each week we'll be looking at a different interpretive lens of Shira Shirim. Pshat, Midrash medieval commentators and Kabbalistic. So that's the agenda. They are designed to be standalone sessions. So if you miss one, you can drop in on another. So that's Mondays at noon. All right. The moment Larry has been waiting for, we're going to talk about the fifth bracha of Mariv. So in the Sidur Sim Shalom, this is on page 206 in the middle. And in the Slim, it is on page 140 in the middle. And it continues to the following page. So this is the bracha, the additional bracha that sort of has no name. Um, The Talmud does not know of this bracha. So it is post-Talmudic. And um, the Talmud, the Mishnah says, at night, you say two brachot before Kriyat Shema and two brachot after Kriyat Shema, which means the Mishnah and the Talmud know about Hashkivenu. And they don't know about anything after Hashkivenu. Um, by the time of the first Sidurim, Rav Amram and Saadia, around 900, 850, 875, this already is in the Sidur. Okay? So that means, so Talmud doesn't know about it. It's in the early Gaonic Sidurim. So that means it arises sometime between 600 and 800, loosely speaking. And why is it here and where does it come from? And it is not in all Sidur traditions. So poor Larry, who moved here, back here from Israel, his attitude is, we didn't have to do this long thing in Israel. How come you say this here in, in the diaspora, in Chutz Laaretz? So it is correct that this is not said in Israel in general. It is said in most diaspora communities in general, but you will find it sometimes in some Sidurim printed in smaller type, like, and it'll say some congregations say. Um, um, the It's pretty widespread in diaspora Ashkenazi communities as standard, standard part of the davening in Mariv. Uh, but I read last night that the Vilna Gaon, Rabbi Elijah of Vilna, late 1700s, refused to say this paragraph. He did not say it, right? Meaning his shul davened it, and he didn't say it. Um, so let's look at what it is, and then we'll sort of try to, I'll share with you theories about like, why is it here and how it gets there? No one knows for sure. Because in general, most of the time, remember in the Sidur, which was accumulated over centuries by the group mind, no one signed their work and put a blurb. So no one said, I composed this paragraph for the following 
purpose in the following year. So we're always left to speculate. So what we have, so we're in the middle of page 140 or in the middle of page 206, we essentially have um, the, if we call it, um, am I going to call it uh, three paragraphs or two paragraphs? Well, it's written as three paragraphs. Um, I'm going to call it two paragraphs because the first two paragraphs are, are a series of verses from the Bible, most of them from Psalms. And we know that this is a genre of early prayer compositions. So if you think in Birchot HaShachar, uh, in Psuke de Zimra, after Baruch Shamar, we have a couple of prayers, which are, before we get to the Psalms, which are um, compilations of verses from the Bible. Uh, the Slichot verses about, you know, that we say in High Holidays about remember us as it says this, remember us as it says this. Those are compilations of verses. So an early form of liturgical composition was of people creating a, I'm going to put it in quotes, new composition by taking a ser- strings of taking verses from here and from there and making them one after another and saying that's a prayer. And whenever that's the case, we're always left saying, uh, what's the theme? Why did they gather these verses in particular? Why does this verse follow the next? Um, in general, these verses are about God's kink in our prayer. Um, I'm going to call it Baruch Hashem Le'olam Amen V'Amen. That's what we'll call it. In general, these verses are about God's kingship and rulership, loosely speaking. And in a lot of them, we can see a pattern where there's a, uh, a key word in sentence one, which is then repeated in sentence two. And then sentence two, they pick a different keyword, which they repeat in sentence three. And that may be a, sequ- a pattern of a sequence of how they got this particular order of verses, sort of like a daisy chain kind of thing. And you'll, if, you look, if we look through all of them, we'll see that's not 100% true. Okay. Um, uh, like Baruch Shem, the third or fourth line, Baruch Shem, Kvodoli Olam, Vimalech, Vodoed, Kola Aretz, Amen, Vimalech. Then we have Yehi Chevod, Hashem Le Olam. And then the vert line after we have Yehi Shem Hashem, Baruch Taviad Olam. Okay. So, and then in that line, we had the word shame. And in the next line, ki lo yitosh, we have the word shame. And in that word, we, that line, we have the word am. And then the next line, we have the word am repeated, right? So it's kind of a little, I don't know, I call it a daisy chain. I'm sure there is a more technical term for that. I don't know what that term would be, but right. So sentence one has word A, and then in sentence two, I pick a sentence that repeats word A. Sentence two also has word B. So sentence three has word B. It also has word C, sentence, right, et cetera, et cetera. So that's one pattern of arrangement. And all of these things are in general um, about God's kingship and rulership over us. And um, we are your nation and we bless you. And then after it is added another paragraph, Yeru Enenu, 
It's kind of a closing paragraph, which is praying for the future, God's rulership over us for the future. In other words, it concludes with a hope for the messianic era and restoration, like a lot of prayers do. So God is ruler. We are God's people. That's pretty much the theme. Okay. So it's different than Hashki Venu. It's not about please protect us because night is scary. It's not exactly the same as the, the bracha after the Shema, Emet Vemunah, right? Or Emet Vietzi, which is about God saving us in history, the splitting of the Red Sea. There's no mention of the splitting of the Red Sea or the Exodus. Um, and it's not about the giving of the Torah in general. And it's not about creating nature in general. So it's not about any of the other themes of the blessings of the Shema. It's just kind of a general, we acknowledge God as ruler forever and ever of the whole universe. We are your people. Therefore, please uh, restore us in the future. That's kind of the general theme of the prayer. Um, I don't think I want to read through all of it line by line because that would take a long time and everyone has an English translation. So up to the last paragraph, Yeru Enenu, up to that, all of this is verses from the Bible, okay? So it's just verses cut and pasted from different places, mostly in the from Tehillim, Psalms. Most of these prayers that are composed of just a series of verses, generally the verses are usually from Psalms, not 100%, but kind of, you know, 90, 95%. Uh, Meyer, you have a question? Is it a Can we make a comment here? Sure. Um, uh, in the in the Koran Saxi Dura, there's an explanation about this prayer? No, no, no. I didn't get to the explanation yet, so you're ahead of me. If you don't know. Okay. <laughs> so, so historically, why is this here? So the medievals gave various theories about it. Some of them said it contains eight. Okay. So let's take a step back. Originally, Ma'ariv as a service, which means the Ma'ariv Amida, we said this a couple of weeks ago, was considered optional, right? It did not commemorate a specific temple service because there was no nighttime temple sacrifice. It was optional. And it's and they argue about it in um, Tanaitic times and Mishnah's times. And then it's clear by Talmudic times, People are saying like, yeah, it's optional, but universal. All of Israel has universally accepted this optional thing as obligatory. And so you should do it. Okay. So it's quasi obligatory. It's obligatory, but of a secondary level of bindingness. And so um, uh, one theory is, oh, this has 18 verses because um, there was some period where Mariv wasn't, the Mariv Amida wasn't obligatory. Some people said it, some people didn't. And so we had these 18 verses mentioning God. We'll get to mentioning God in a moment. Sort of to match the 18 blessings of the Amida that you might say, but some people didn't say. Okay. There's another medieval theory that the Jews would gather in the fields to say Mariv together before they went home, each to their individual homes. They would make sure to finish Mariv before dark because it was scary to walk home in the dark. And so it was, I'm going to put it in quotes, too early to say the Amida. And so we had these 18 verses in lieu of the Amida. And then everyone would say Mariv when they got home. 
sorry, everyone would say the Amida when they got home. Or um, uh, they set it out in the fields and they didn't want to take the time to let everyone say the Amida because the Amida is longer and that would take too long. And then they'd be walking home when it was dark and it was scary, right? They'd finish work just before sundown. They'd say Mincha. Then they'd rush through Mariv. Then they'd all go home. They want to get home before dark. And so they said the 18 verses instead of the Amida because it's shorter. So it's sort of like, I'm going to put it in quotes, symbolic Amida, bimkom the Amida in place of the Amida. And then everyone would say the Amida would go home when they got home. Or another medieval theory, there was a period of one of these, I love them, period of persecution, and the Jews were not allowed to say the Amida, so they said these 18 verses in lieu of the Amida. And most modern scholars say whenever the explanation that's given of there was a change in the liturgy because it was a period of persecution, that is usually wrong, that is usually not historically accurate. That's what modern secular scholars say of the Sidur. But anyway, that's a theory. So it is in fact true, and one thing we will look at, and we are going to do now, is we're going to go through these verses, and we're going to see how many times are, are mentioned the name of God as yud Hey vav Hey. I shouldn't have said that, sorry. yud Hey and then vav Hey. Not to say it all together. All right? We're going to do it now. Ready? Who's going to be our official scorekeeper? Who's quick and isn't going to miss anything? We'll, we'll, we'll rely on several of you to keep the count. Okay? So how many times does it say God's name here? I'm just going to rattle through the Hebrew. I'm going to rattle through it. I'm not going to translate. You have it in the translation. But here we go. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. Hallelujah. Someone is unmuted. Someone's unmuted. Vered, could you mute, please? Okay. Baruch Hashem. Elohim, Elohim, Yisrael, Hosseini, Vlaot, Levado. Varushen, Kvodor, Leolam, Vimalech, Kvodor, Kvodor, Amen, Vimalech. Yichvod Hashem, Leolam, Yismach Hashem, Vimaasav. That's five. You can cross past your tally of five. Yishem Hashem, Vivorach, Meetavar, Olam. Kiloitosh Hashem, Etamav, Vimalo. Keoil Hashem, Lasot, Etchem, Lolaam. Vayarkol Haam, Vayplu, Apalehem, Vayamru, Hashem, Huelohim, Hashem, Huelohim. That was ten. Vayah Hashem, Lamelech, Kola, Arts. Adonai, that does not count, because this Adonai is written Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud, and not Yud, K, and then Vav, K. Doesn't count. Doesn't count. The door of Adornis Aperti Latecha. I'm up to 14. Baruch Hashem Lelam Amen. Baruch Hashem Lelam. That was 15. Baruch Hashem Balayla. Baruch Hashem Beshochvenu. Baruch Hashem Bekumenu. Ki Aviyadcha Nafshot Hachayim Vamitim Asher Biyadon Nefshochai Ruach Kobasar Ish. Biyadcha Aki Ruchi Padita Oti Hashem Elemet. Eloheinu Shabashamayim Yachet Shimcha Vakayim Elohamim Vamloch Alein Lam Vaed. How many was that? 19. How many blessings are there in the Amida, which is called the 18? There are 19 blessings, right? So the common explanation that's given is these verses mention Hashem's four-letter sacred name 19 times. These 19 verses are 
I'm going to put it in quotes, in place of the Amida, which you might say later at home after dark, or uh, you might not say because you consider it optional, or it arose in the area when some people said it and some people didn't say it. Um, or you'd say it at home after dark, but you were a common person in a pre-littered era when there weren't printed books. So you would not, you might not say the, the Amida properly. You didn't know the Amida by heart. So this gives you 19 mentions of God um, in lieu of the Amida that you might or might not say. So there are all kinds of hypotheses about why these verses are here. And it has, they all have something to do with this is a mini Amida. Now, it doesn't go so far as to say these verses follow the themes of the 19 blessings of the Amida. That's clearly not true, okay? But there are 19 mentions of God's holy name. There are 19 blessings in the Amida. So lots of people post-Geonic, the medievals, who came up with all sorts of theories like, why is this here? Why do we have a new prayer that, that means in the year, again, the earliest Sidurim, the earliest Sidurim, 875, Rav Amram. Why are we legacied a new prayer that the Talmud knows nothing about? Okay? It's the sages of old who ordained the prayer service, and here's this extra blessing that's not in the Mishnah, and it's not in the Talmud. Why is it here? So there were all kinds of speculations, and they had to do with... um the Amida, um, again, the Amida is not recited aloud. There is no repetition by the Chazan. That's why there's no Kedusha. Um, again, that is a vestige of the idea that um, the Amida was optional and not obligatory, right? If the Mishnah would have considered, if, the, if universal opinion in Tanaitic times and Mishnah times would have considered that Ma'ariv is as obligatory as Shacharit and Mencha, then the sages would have ordained a repetition of the Amidah so that everyone could hear each blessing and say Amen, and there would have been a Kedusha. Okay? They did not ordain that because Ma'ariv Amidah was not considered universally obligatory. All right? So there are all kinds of, I will call it, legacies of the halachic reality that originally the Amida in the nighttime service was not considered obligatory. Um, de facto, today, it is treated as obligatory, right? So it's like that issue was settled 1,500 years ago, right? So the Jews decided 1,500 years ago that you got to daven three times a day, you got to say the Amida three times a day. There's no halachic opinion today who says, Ah, you can skip Mariv. It's really fine. Don't worry about it. It's only it's only optional. You would not find any rabbi who would today who would say to you, it's only optional. You don't have to do it. Okay. So we but we have various quirks in the liturgy, which are a reminder of an earlier time when the Amida was considered um, of Mariv was considered optional. And it seems that the existence of this whole Baruch Hashem L'Olam Amen V'Amen prayer is another wrinkle, right, from an era when it was still considered by some people to be optional. The link is it has 19 mentions 
of God's four-letter name. So people said, oh, this must have something to do with the Amida in lieu of the Amida or something like that. Okay. And again, um, many communities do not say it. In Israel, in general, it is not said. Um, in many Sephardi communities in the diaspora, it is not said. I looked last night, one of my final acts before going to bed in my Moroccan sidur, and it was printed in small type, and it says, some communities say. Remember, there are always um, editorial decisions that sidur printers are making. So if they print it in normal type, and they have an instruction, some communities leave this out, that is of a higher status than if they print it in smaller type and say, some communities add, or if they put it below the line and say, some communities add, right? That's kind of a printer's decision that reflects what they believe to be, you know, the authority. So that, that usually there's like a rabbi who's involved with that printer who said, yeah, you can put it below the line or you can put it in smaller type. Don't leave it out. There's some communities who say it, okay? Whereas, it, you know, our, this is a place where our um, conservative sidur has maintained, I will say, standard Ashkenazi diaspora practice and left it in, um, in, in you know, full size with no uh, discriminatory instruction of some communities omit this. By the way, it is apparently universally omitted on Shabbat, except, I read last night, then the Sidur of Rav Sa'adja Gaon, the second Sidur we have, which is, I think, eight, uh, sorry, uh, I, always get these, I always get these dates mixed up. I can't remember, 925, eight something, I get confused, 825, I'm sorry, someone can Wikipedia it. Anyway, 800s, good at close enough for government work. In Sa'adja Sidur, he said it on Friday night also, right? So that that didn't stick, which just shows, just shows you could be you could be Sa'adja Gaon, and it doesn't necessarily mean that what your halachic ruling is is what the Jewish community follows for all ages thereafter. But um, Sa'ad, right? Larry would be really unhappy in Sa'adja Shul. They said this even on Friday night, right? It took longer to get home to get to dinner. Okay. Um, there you have it. So, by the way, Larry, it all, I also read some halachic sources that say if you are from the diaspora, but you are temporary dwelling, temporarily dwelling in Israel, you should say this passage, even though they don't say it in Israel and Shul. And conversely, if you are from Israel and you are visiting in the diaspora, you may omit this paragraph, which just means while the congregation is saying it, you gaze off into space, right? But you are not obliged to say it if you are um, from Eretz Israel, and that is your minhag. The Gaon of Vilna was not from Eretz Israel. He just believed this was unauthoritative and optional enough that he just ignored it, which means the ha- he might have been in shul and the chazan said it, and he, you know thought Gaon of Vilna thoughts, gave him extra time to be a few extra moments to be a genius, right? But he just skipped it, right? Okay, I'm done. So Ilana, then Joanna, and then Meyer might want to add something from Rabbi Sachs. Ilana first. 
Yeah, a super quick question. Yeah. The the count, the tally that we just did, yeah. that only refers to those first three sections, right? It, it does not include year u a nenu. Yeah, okay, thanks. Right. So yes, the closing paragraph clearly seems to be a different thing. How do we know that? First of all, it's not verses from the Bible. It's an original composition, number one. Number two... It is on a different theme. The theme is the future. Yeruenenu means may we see your kingship in the future. So all these things that we talked about, God, you are mighty, you're the ruler of the universe, we are you, your people, all of that is the background for the closing is just, I don't, I'm not saying just the background, but in terms of the sequence, it's the background, the closing paragraph, Yeruenenu, which is again, as we've seen before, which is basically so new. You've done all these great things in the past. We would like to see your kingship here on earth now, which means it is a prayer for the messianic times. The, the same way as in the, remember the first paragraph, the first blessing of the Shema service in the morning, Yotzer Or, it's all about the nature, the sun went up, it's all beautiful, right? And then we conclude before the bracha, um, Or Chadash Al Tzion Ta'ir, right? We want a new light. We need a new light about Zion, which is about the Messianic era. Or Avarabah, which is about, thank you, you loved us, you, you married us, you gave us the Torah. But then we say near the end, Vahavienu l'shalome arbakan foda aretz, bring us from the four corners of the earth, right? So many prayers will conclude with a longing wish prayer for the Messianic era, even if that is not the major theme of the prayer. So Ilana, Yeruah Nenu is separate. It's separate from the count. It is clearly not part of the sequence of verses. It's on a different theme. Plus, it's not a sequence of verses. It's like other prayers in the Siddur. It is an original composition. Okay? Yoana, as we might say in Greece. <laughs> um, and then, um, you know, I have family from South America who pronounce it like an H, so, you Juana, know, depending Juana. on where you were, <laughs> yes. uh-huh. where you are in the world. Yeah. Um, so I was curious to know, I have two questions. One, when you said that um, Sajja does include this um, on Friday, Friday night, night yep. is yep. it in addition to or in lieu of Vishamru? And no, also... No, uh, I have to look back and I'll answer next week. I assume he includes Vishamru, but I don't know for a fact. I'll check. Go ahead. And also, when you brought up Friday night, what's curious to me is that sort of this quasi-amida in lieu of a proper out loud repetition during the week comes just before the amida, but on Shabbat comes just after the amida. And I was just sort of curious as to any explanation for that placement. Um Right, which is or or another way of asking that question, which I'm not prepared to answer today because I have not done my homework on it because I didn't know you were going to ask it. <laughs> is given that we don't have a repetition of the Amidah in Mariv, six nights of a week, why do we have an abridged quasi repetition on Shabbat? Uh, I don't know the answer. Excellent question. I'll do some research on that. Right. I haven't because, you know, I've been spending like however many years in this morning minion teaching about the Sidur on uh, weekday morning. So I don't know a lot about the Shabbat Sidur in terms of history and like how did that get to be there? The the Me'en HaBrachot, the summary of the Brachot in which we do 
again, it's really a quasi repetition in the sense that it's um, a summary of all seven brachot, but in one bracha. So that's really unusual, right? I mean, the the rest of the week we have, you know, Shachrit, Mincha, we have repetition of the actual 19 brachot. So that's a good question. I'll do some research on that, Joanna. Okay, Meyer. Um, I just had this note of subtle distinction in what it says in the Siddur about one of the things that you suggested, saying that the passage originated among Babylonian Jewry at a time when the synagogues were not permitted in the towns and that's, were built in the fields right. outside. It's, but the reason, that's, reason, that's, reason why, again, sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I just want to say yes, yes, yes. And that's like a theory that some medieval commentator had 300 years later. No one really hear, knows. Go on. I hear what you're saying. All I'm suggesting is it at least presents a logic as to why it would not be said in Eretz Yisrael. Ah, okay. Because of, because in Babylon, in Babylonia, they were persecuted. Because it was one of those traditions that developed Chutzal Aretz. So oh. if you live, Chutzal Aretz, Got it. you do it. But if you don't live Chutzal Aretz, it's different. We, we right. have other traditions like that as well. Correct. Got it. Um, right. And, you know, there are, are significant divergences between Eretz Israel practice and Babylonian practice that tend to arise, uh, you know, loosely speaking, between the year 500 and 900. Um, and because the community in Babylonia comes to be the more dominant and important community, and the community in Eretz Israel really dwindles in numbers and importance. Um, in general, halachic practice worldwide is dominated more by Babylonian practice than Eretz Israeli practice when those things diverge. Thank you, Meyer. Mike. I can't hear you. No, can you hear him? Can anyone hear him? I can't hear you. We're, we're, you're you're not muted, but you're very soft. Is it better now? Yes, keep doing that. I'm chewing on the mic. Keep um, doing that. Uh, the fact that Sadia said it on a Friday suggests that at least he didn't believe that it was related to the to the 18 or 19 brachot of the Ami of the Amidah because you would not he would not have said those brachot on a Friday because it's a petition. Good point. I'll work on on Sadia. See, I'll have a look at Sadia's Sidur. Again, by the way, Sadia has instructions for what you say. He doesn't say, he doesn't tell you why, right? Uh, because like Rav Amram Sidur, it's meant to, and, and Maimonides' order of prayer, it's meant to be a manual. It's not meant to be a footnoted manual, right? So they don't, they very often don't say why. They just say, here's the correct order of prayer. Yeah. Um, uh, Larry said, uh, he sees a note that it reminds us of the Alenu. I was talking only about the Yeru Enenu. Oh, okay. Yeru Enenu, why or how? I'm not arguing. I'm just, you know. Well, first okay. of all, if you believe that this was a substitute for the Amidah and for the service, you would conclude with an Alenu. And the theme is very similar about the Malchut, the kingdom yeah. of, of God being accepted by all. There you go. Good. Good thought. Great. Thank you. Can yeah. I just, can I Wait. just. Can yeah, I, Larry, briefly, and then Jeff. Go ahead, Larry. I'll be I'll be brief because Avi already knows my feeling about this. Yeah, I do believe it's a beautiful prayer, a beautiful collection of verses. It's quite creative. Yes, I I, I encourage people to say it, just not at the Marian service. Um, and I'll simply note it doesn't contradict anything you've said, but um, uh, Reuven Hammer in his commentary 
And um, Chaim Donin, in his book on how to pray as a Jew, yeah. and as uh, Myers already pointed out, um, uh, Rabbi Sachs in his Siddur all have basically the same the same explanations and the same sets of, of commentaries. Right, because they're all reading the Abu Draham. Exactly. I'm, I'm saying all of those explanations come from, it, just so you know, it's not because any of those modern people are historians who have uncovered something that we didn't know about from the Cairo Geniza. They're basically repeating the theories that the medieval thinkers who wrote about the Sidur have said. Right. So again, th- these are explanations that are given, you know, Abu Draham several hundreds of years after it appears in Sidur Rav Amram's Gaon. Like, is that historically accurate? We have no way of knowing that. I, I just want to not to knock the Abu Draham, but I'm just saying like, oh, I think he's like from the 1400s or something. And this, this, the prayer first appears in the 800s. So, OK, so they're all just repeating what the medieval sor- halachic sources say. Okay. Um, and, and just because a lot of people repeat the same source doesn't necessarily, as, as we know from social media and news today, just because a lot of repeat people repeat the same thing does not necessarily make it more accurate or more true. Dave, uh, Jeff. Uh, basic question. When you yeah. say that something, that these are taken from the, from the Bible, Yes. Is it lifted from one? I mean, I don't see that. It no, all over. All, pull all a, ver, over. a verse from here. It's mostly from Psalms. Most of these prayers that are composed of different verses are mostly from Psalms. Um, the Slichot prayer is an exception to that. Um, but they're just here, there, here, there, right? Meaning someone, essentially someone who knew the Tanakh by heart said, I am going to compose a prayer. I'm going to put it in air quotes, compose a prayer. And my method of composition is I'm going to pull individual verses from here and there and put them in a sequence that makes sense to me. Okay. Can I answer your question? Yes. Uh, and they're, it's mostly- they're not, they're not consecutive. It's not like we, it's not like Suke de Zimra where like, oh, here is Psalm 146 and I'm going to say the whole Psalm. It's mm-hmm. more like, Yehi, um, if you remember Yehichvod Hashem Lolam here, let's just turn back to right after um, Baruch Sha'amar. We'll, we'll finish very shortly within two minutes. But um, in the slim, page 20, and in the sim, page 80. So page 80 at the top in the fat book, page 20 in the bottom of the skinny book. Okay? Yehi chavod Hashem lo'olam. That is a prayer which is composed of verses just pulled from here and there, arranged in an order that made sense to the author. So it is an early style of prayer writing. Uh, I'm going to compose a new prayer by pulling verses from here and there. I, I have an order that is... That, that order is sometimes obvious to us, the reader, sometimes less obvious to us, the reader. And that was a style of composing prayer. Jeff, does that answer your question? Yes. Right, which is very different than if you just turn to the next page to Ashray, where we say, oh, we're actually going to say a whole psalm 
as a prayer. And then the next psalm is a prayer, which is what we have Friday night, the psalms of Friday night in Kabbalah Shabbat, five psalms in a row, correct? Um, for, you know, Psalm 95 through Psalm 100, whatever it is, uh, 95 through 99. Um, so this is different. This is, I'm going to compose a new prayer by pulling a verse from here, a verse from there, a verse from there, a verse from there. Avi, in Pesuket de Zimra, also the two paragraphs before the Mismor Todah. Right. I didn't, want to get, I didn't want to get into that because some of it, there's a, the first chunk of it is a consecutive thing lifted from the Bible. And then after it, the second, quote unquote, second half is a series of verses. Right. So this was an early form of prayer writing. Um, it was stringing together a series of verses. To us, I just want to say in our modern aesthetic and and sensibility and what seems like a coherent essay to us moderns, this type of prayer feels less appealing. You read it and you think like, what? It's a series of verses and it doesn't really hang together as opposed to like Yotzer or, or Avaraba, like, oh, it's a nice extended essay on one theme that's written for a particular purpose. So when we read these collections of verses, they tend to strike us as less aesthetic, less coherent, therefore less powerful. It doesn't make quite as much sense to us. It's kind of a style of prayer writing that was fashionable in the year, you know, 500, 800, something like that. Okay. And, and then kind of went out of style, right? So in, in the middle, at a certain point in the Middle Ages, no one is writing new prayers like that. If they're writing things, they're writing new things, new compositions. They're not creating new strings of verses. So after a certain year, I can't tell you, I don't know what, you know, maybe after the year a thousand-ish, um, no one's writing new prayers by stringing together individual lines from the Book of Psalms. It, it kind of falls out of style as a method of writing prayers. All right. I think we'll wrap up. Be happy. It's Adar. Everyone have a meaningful Thank you. Uh, fast of Esther and a joyous Purim. And uh, God willing, I'll see you uh, next week. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.